Our scripture this morning will be John chapter 15, verses 1 through 12. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into a fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning we begin a brand new series. I am so excited about it, and I hope that you will see that as we go through uh, the message this morning. Uh, As you came in, perhaps you saw a little red pickup truck. Don't know if you saw that part to the left as you were walking in. That truck back in the day belonged to me. And so I bought that little red pickup truck, drove that thing around. Some of you know what I'm about to tell, but others do not. If you've heard it once, it's bears repeating. Uh, So I bought this little red pickup truck, little Chevy S10. uh, And at the time, Trent was young. He uh, was probably four, five, six years old. and, And we would go places and it has a little flip back seat in the back and it pops down. And then uh, Trent loved to sit back there. There was something cool about to him about sitting in the little seat that pops out of the side of the truck. And so I, I was thrilled that it had the seat, and but I couldn't quite understand whoever designed this truck, why it was so hard to get to it. I'd open the door, Trent would climb over the seat, go over the console, crawl in, buckle in, and it would just be an ordeal just to get to the little flip down seat. So for years, two or three, uh, Trent would ride around back there and we'd go places, you know, just doing what we do. And one day I was up at Lamar Silver's. Lamar is a member of our church and he owns a body shop. And so I was up at Lamar Silver's place one day and I said, Lamar, uh, I really like this truck, but I don't quite understand. If you're going to put a little seat back there, why is it so hard to get to? And Lamar looked at me with this strange look on his face, and I'll never forget this. He walked over to my pickup truck, he opened the driver's door, and then he put his hand on this magic thing called a handle, and he opened up the third door. I had no clue it had a third door. No lie. Years I drove that truck. Years. 
years, Trent would climb over, over the console, and there I'm standing. And it's like lights come on and the glory shines, and there's a door. And all you have to do is push the handle, and Trent could climb right in. We so enjoyed that third door. It was like having a new truck all over again. Now, I say that to say this. I say that to say this, that what we're about to delve into, I'm convinced for many of you in your walk with God is like the third door. At some point, maybe it was last week, you were baptized along with 31 31 people we baptized last Sunday night. Maybe you were one of them last week, or maybe it was a year ago, or maybe it was five years ago, but you have no idea, have in the present tense, no idea of the benefits of your relationship with God in Christ. You sit here this morning, you've driven the truck of salvation around, maybe for a year, maybe for 10 years, maybe for 20 years, and you have no idea that on the truck of salvation, there's a third door. And you have no idea of the benefits you have in your relationship with God through Christ. And this morning, what I hope to do is to walk over and begin to open just the driver's door of your life and to begin to pull open this third door. And over the next nine weeks, I hope this becomes so clear. I hope that you will be so hungry for God, so desirous to know him in this way. I must say to you, I was a believer for 15 years. For 15 years, when a hunger began to develop in me that I could not satisfy, I could not solve, and I went to God's word, and I remember saying to God, I will not let go. I will not let go until I get this, and I am hoping that there's some of you in the room this morning who are saying, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go till I get this, and I'm not going to let go until this gets me. And so we go to John 15. John 15, uh, let me set the stage for you. It, It is the final hours of Jesus' life. These are final words. Jesus has just had the last supper. Judas has just left. Jesus warned him. He left anyway. He's gone to do his dirty act of betraying Jesus. Now there are 11 disciples left. They leave the room that they met in and they go out and they must have walked into a vineyard. And when they walk into a vineyard, as they get to the vineyard, when they walk into the vineyard, Jesus grabs most likely a grapevine and he begins to talk. Jesus, the masterful teacher, uses an object lesson of a grapevine. And there as he is teaching, he uh, gives three characteristics of the Christian life that these disciples are about to experience. I promise you today, you'll want to take notes. Characteristic number one, clearly defined relationships. Clearly defined relationships. Jesus Uh, grabs a cluster of grapes, perhaps, and he says, I am the true vine. Now, when you, you're thinking people, when you hear true vine, what does that make you think? There's got to be a what? A false one. 
If he says, I'm the true vine, then there is a false vine. So who or what is the false vine? The false vine is Israel. You say, Jerry, what do you mean? Well, if you go to the Old Testament, Israel was referred to on numerous occasions as the vine, but it was never positive. It was always negative. Isaiah called Israel a wild vine. Jeremiah, degenerate vine, a strange vine. Hosea referred to Israel as an empty vine. God says, or Jesus says, I am the true vine. What does he mean? He means where Israel has failed, I won't. Where Israel is empty, I'll be full. Where where Israel is strange, I'll be familiar. He's saying, I am the true vine. Now, what does this do? Jesus claimed to be the true vine, changed the disciples' focus from their responsibilities to their relationships. This is huge. Why? Well, God's relationship with Israel in the Old Testament was mitigated by one thing, the law. The law. Do's and don'ts. Morality. Do this and live. Do this and die. Do this and be blessed. Do this and be cursed. That was the Old Testament relationship. Jesus says, I am the true vine. And as the true vine, no longer are we going to major on the do's and the don'ts. It's about relationships. Uh, Jesus will present a whole new way of thinking here. A way, don't miss this, that took their focus off their pedigree and their performance and put the focus on his presence. He took their focus off of their pedigree, were Jews. Their performance, were moral. And put it on his presence. So as the true vine... Jesus is all we will ever need. As the true vine, that's what he's saying. I'm all that you will ever, ever need in your life. You say, how? We'll see that as we move through. Clearly defined relationships. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Secondly, he says, my father, he's the vine dresser. He's the vine dresser. What do vine dressers do? They take care of the vine. How do they do it? They prune it. So they cut away what doesn't belong. They, they, they prune. Yesterday morning, I'm out early and I'm in uh, just working in the flowers around my house. That's my gig, kind of how I clear the cobwebs. And so I'm working in the flowers and we have three sets of beautiful pink geraniums. All right, so this is how geraniums work. If you have ever uh, grown geraniums, you know that they produce beautiful, large flowers, But then the flowers begin to fade. So what must you do if you want your geranium to keep producing? You go down to where that flower connects into the branch and you pop it off there. 
You don't pop it off at the top. Why? Because as the nutrients come from the soil, the calcium, the nitrogen, the iron, as the water carries them from the soil into that flowering plant, anything you leave eats that. And so if you leave a dead stem, it's going to soak up some of those nutrients. So as the gardener for my flowers, what do I do? I pop those off. Well, if you're a geranium, does that feel good? No, no, it doesn't. God is the vine dresser. And what he does is to prune us. So what happens? We produce fruit. Verse 8, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Last night, went to the Apple Festival in Hendersonville. Wendy and I did. Took a couple kiddos and head to the Apple Festival. Everywhere you walk, you smell apples, right? It's amazing. It's wonderful. Apples and fried food. You can't go wrong. It's an awesome combination. And so we're walking around, we're smelling all of this, you know, honey crisp apples. Have you ever eaten a fresh honey crisp apple? Tremendous. Do you know that nobody ever, ever eats an apple? I've never heard anybody bite into a fresh honey crisp apple and go, that must be an amazing tree. Do you know who they talk about? The farmer. Wow, we got apple farmer sitting right here. Talk about the farmer. That's, that's who they talk about. The farmer, right? The farmer is the one. We got lot effects on that point. Um, the farmer is the one uh, that uh, gets all the glory. So it is in your life. When you bear fruit, nobody looks at you and says, oh, wow, look at you. Or if they do, you immediately say, oh, no, it isn't me. It is Christ in me. It is Christ through me. The Father gets the glory for the fruit that is produced. It is the Father who is glorified. Now, is it possible for anybody else to till the soil of your life? Yes. Sin will, if you let it, till the soil. See, Neil Strait has said this. You'll see it on the screen. Sin does not serve well as a gardener of the soul. It landscapes the contour of the soul until all that is beautiful has been made ugly, until all that is high is made low, until all that is promising is wasted. Then life is like the desert, parched and barren. It is drained of purpose. It is bleached of happiness. Sin then is not wise, but wasteful. It is not a gate, but only a grave. When you allow sin to till your soul, the result of that is death. So Wendy and I, through the years, have had a lot of kids live with us, exchange students, fostering, just random kids. We've just had a lot of people live with us through the years. So one of these guys was a kid by the name of Fadi. He was 16. He was from the um, from Palestine, and uh, he lived with us. And so Pal- uh, Fadi decided he wanted to do gardening. He wanted to help me out in the yard. Well, fair enough. And so I said I had I had past tense a crepe myrtle tree, and I said Fadi, it's time for this tree to be pruned. All right, he said. I explained it to him and I left. I wasn't even home. I get back. I get back. And I lie you not. 
that tree is as bald as Joe Taylor's head. Yeah. There's nothing, like there is absolutely nothing on my crepe myrtle tree. I, I went and found Fadi. I said, Fadi, what did you do? I pruned the tree. Fadi, there's nothing left. Come next spring, do you know what happened? Nothing. <laughs> do you know where that, fa- that, that tree is now? Cut down. He destroyed it. That's what sin does. Sin will prune you too. But sin will leave you lifeless. Lifeless. When God is the gardener of your soul, what fruit is produced? Love. Galatians 5. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. Self-control. God will produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. He will. All right. Jesus is the true vine. God is the vine dresser. Clearly defined relationships. You and I were a branch grafted in to the vine. We're connected to the vine. Do you know the way that works? You can't tell where the connection begins or ends. There's no clear marking because that branch will grow into the vine itself. That branch will grow into the vine. Betty Thornton came up to me after early service. She said, Jerry, my son just a few weeks ago drove me through Burgundy. She said there were great vines, massive vineyards everywhere. She said, but this is what I noticed. I saw they were producing grapes. I barely could see vines. They were so small, so small, but the trunk, or, or could see branches, but the trunk, she said, was huge. Jesus is the trunk. We are branches. God prunes. Those are clearly defined relationships, but then there's clearly Defined responses. We've already seen God prunes. A.W. Tozer says God will not use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God will not use a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. God prunes. Heard a sermon by Stanley this week that, uh, in which he said, Charles Stanley, in which he said, sometimes God has to shake people in order to get their attention. Other times he has to shock people in order to get their attention. God prunes. So if God is pruning, don't miss that's the context of John 15. If God is pruning, so the response of God is to prune, what do I do? Abide. Abide. I stay put. And guess what? When you're being pruned, staying put is the most unnatural response to pruning. When something hurts, what do you want to do? Get out. Get away. But when God is pruning you, 
Jesus said, abide in me. I think most of us get that. But this is the part that I think many of you do not. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. When you're being pruned, Christ does not abandon you. When you're being pruned, Christ doesn't go running from you. When you're being pruned, Christ who dwells in you through the Holy Spirit stays in you through the pruning. And he hurts when you are being pruned. You say, Jerry, how do you know that? How do you know Christ hurts? Two ways. One, Scripture says when we sin, it's as if we crucify Jesus all over again. Why? Because Christ is in you. And when you came to Christ, He came to live in you. And He's never gone anywhere. And He never ever will. He is in you. He has not left you. And He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. He won't. Most of you don't realize that. It's the third door. You think somehow he's beside me or maybe he's above me or maybe he's around me. No, he's in you. He lives in you. It is a union that you will never divorce, never separate, never get rid of until you die. He's in you. He lives in you. So, so, so we know that when we sin, when we sin, we so hurt the Savior. We crucify him, Hebrews says, all over again. Secondly, we learn in Scripture, we grieve the Spirit. The Spirit who lives in us, who yearns for God, we grieve the Spirit. So if you sit here this morning and you're being pruned, there's many of you, no doubt, who are being pruned. What do you do? Abide. Why? Because he is too. Does it hurt? He's hurting too. Is it painful? He's crying too. He's in you. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's not going anywhere. So what does it mean to abide? It means to stay. To abide is to stay. That's what Jesus says in verse 5. Apart from me, you can do what, church? Say it again. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. Take That branch, off that vine, that trunk, it dies. You cannot, on your own, produce the fruit of the Spirit. Can't do it. Say, how? Well, the most extreme pruning came on the cross. The most extreme pruning came on the cross. Just go read the sayings from the cross and you'll get that. Before Jesus ever lived in you, he died for you. Before he ever lived in you, he died 
for you unless you think, wow, Jesus is some amazing teacher. So he steps out and he finds a grapevine. And when he finds a grapevine, he thinks, oh, this is such a cool thing. And maybe they'll get this. No, no. Before time began, before time began, God purposed before Adam or Eve ever walked on the planet and Eve ever took the forbidden fruit, God had a purpose and he had a plan. And his plan was that he would raise up his son, that he would raise up his son on planet earth to take care of problems that had yet to happen. You say, Jerry, how do you know? Psalm 80, it's not on the screen, but listen, Psalm 80 Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Verse 7. Verse 8. You, God, brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You, you cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade. The mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and it shoots to the river. Verse 14. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted. And don't miss this. And for the sun, for the sun, S-O-N, that you made strong for yourself. What in the world is going on here? Asaph in Psalm 80 unknowingly most likely writes about a God who would one day raise up a vine. He would be the true vine. He would be born of a woman. He would grow up like everybody else. He would go one day to the cross. He would die for our sins. Three days later, he would resurrect. He would then about 50 days later, ascend, sit at the right hand of the father. There at the right hand of the father today, right now, he is mediating. He is interceding for you on your behalf as he lives in you. This is the true vine. This is him. He is in you. He's in you. Wow. And oh, that you could get a hunger for that. Oh, that somewhere deep inside of you, there could be this desire to know him in a way that you've never known him and experience the indwelling presence of his uh, spirit in you. Wow. Say, well, well, how, how does he abide in me? He says, you're already clean. The word is in Greek pruned, same root word. You're already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. He abides in you through his precious word. I don't have time today. To tell you, I'll give you one name, Wycliffe, burned at the stake so that you could have this in English. I could give you, if we were to do a quick church history lesson, the stories of about four men who gave their lives that you could have this precious word. Why? This is how God abides in you through his word. This is how Jesus lives in you. John, at the beginning of this, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus comes alive through His Word. How do you abide in Him? Through prayer. You pray. You pray. Did you catch it? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You say, how in the world, when God's word is in you, your prayer life will reflect that. And you'll begin to pray his heart and his desires and his wishes. Why does Jesus abide in you? Oh, what a good question. Why ever would he? Because he loves you. He says, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. Why does Jesus abide in you? Is there anything good in you? Nothing good. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. The old hymn writer writes, he chose you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Why? God, why would you choose me? If you ever get there, if you ever get to that place where you're so small and God is so big and you begin to say, God, why me? Why would you ever choose me? Why would you want to live in this? Why would you want to live in me? I know my sins. I know my thoughts. I know my faults. I know my failures. I I know my weaknesses. I know my blunders. I I, I just know me. And and knowing me, why me? Why would you? I don't know. He loves you. He loves you. Why should you abide in Jesus? Because you love him. This is so different. This is a whole paradigm shift. Why? Why? Because all Israel knew was, here's the law, keep the law, God is pleased. Jesus says, I am the vine, stay in me, I'm in you. No matter what comes, I'm never leaving you, I'm never forsaking you. Do you know what this means? This is why you can run, but you can't hide. Because everywhere you go, there you are. And everywhere you go, there he is. Everywhere. I found for those who are walking with the Lord that brings great comfort. I found for those who are walking away from the Lord that brings great conviction. It's one or the other that will either comfort or convict you. He's in you. And they're clearly defined results. When Jesus abides in you, the results will be as obvious as a healthy flower and plant. So what are they? They're listed here. You may want to jot them down. You'll bear much fruit, much fruit. What is the fruit? It's twofold, but it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's also other believers who who will bear fruit too. Uh, You'll bear much fruit. Secondly, God will answer your prayers. When you abide in him, he'll answer your prayers. He says that. Uh, Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you because you're abiding in him. Somehow when when you're abiding in him, your prayers line up with his word. Right? Your prayers line up with his heart and his desires. 
Third, when you abide in him, your joy will be full. Your joy will be full. A week ago, Monday morning, I sat with Lisa Sprouse for two hours. Lisa is a member of our church who has cancer. She goes through gruesome treatments that take an entire week, a battery of, uh, of, of treatments that take an entire week. Uh, she'll spend six to eight hours a day during that week uh, on two or three days. And she called and she said, could you come over? And I said, sure. And so I came over and I sat with Lisa as the chemo began to drip into her body. That was on a Monday. On a Tuesday, she'd go back and they'd flush it into her abdomen where her cancer is. And as I sat with her, all I could hear from her was joy. It was joy. Just joy. She'd say, tell me what's going on at church. Tell me I'm behind. Tell me where God is working. I'll share a story of a changed life. And then she said, do you see the lady right down there at the end? She's from Marion. She, she doesn't have it as good as I do. Would you go? She calls me preacher. Preacher, would you go and minister to her? She doesn't have who I have. Joy. Beverly, who sits back there. Ellen, who sits right here. Both duking it out with cancer. Joy. Full joy. Why? You're in Christ. He's in you. Joy. Your joy will be full. Fourth, when you abide, you'll love one another. He says this in two ways. You'll keep my commandments. And then he says my commandment, singular, is to love one another. Do you know when you love each other, most all the other commandments fall into place. It's hard to steal from somebody you love. Right? It's hard to egg your neighbor's house if you love your neighbor. Like somehow that doesn't drive. So, so this one overarching command, love me and love others. And when you abide, you will be God's friend. He says, no longer do I call you servants for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing. Right? A servant has a boss employee relationship. No, we're friends. I love sitting down and talking and, and letting you in on the father's plan. When you abide, you'll be God's friend. Why wouldn't you want that? I learned a new word this week. I, I'm a total nerd. I have owned that for years. If you drive a pickup for years and not know it has a third door, you're a nerd. And so I'm a total nerd. And I learned a new word that 
that a vine dresser today is called a vintner. I didn't know that. And, and so it is. Margaret Feinberg visited uh, uh, recently uh, two California vineyards. And here's what she had to write about her observations. She said, the first year, a vintner plants shoots of vines rather than seeds because they yield the strongest vines. At the end of the first growing season, he cuts them back. She says, the second year passes and he cuts them back again. After the third year, he, he finally sees grapes for the first time. But serious vintners leave those clusters on the vines. For most vintners, it is not until year four that they bring their first harvest. For those growing grapes for winemaking, they'll bottle their harvest but won't taste the fruit of their labors until year seven or eight. Most vineyards in Napa Valley won't reach a break-even point for their investment until year 15, 18, or beyond. What does this say? That if you're going to produce fruit... You ready? There's going to be a lot of pruning over a lot of years before the fruit is going to show and be useful. Or as Jess Cathcart wonderfully said in chapel at Montreat this week, passion does not equal readiness. You may want to go and do whatever, but you may not yet be ready. Paul, the great apostle, this is what Jazz was touching on. Three to ten years he was in preparation before he ever went and shared the gospel takes time and it hurts pruning hurts you say what do I do now Jerry what do I do this series is based on this book by Dave Hickman he's a Montreat grad who lives in Charlotte called Closer Than Close. This book is so very good. Several of our folks have it. Our life group leaders, they've started reading it. Can't put it down. Dave will be with us in two weeks to preach one of the sermons in this series. Today as you leave, you could grab a copy if you're a college student. It's free uh, for the rest of you just to recoup our cost, eight bucks. You can see Adrian as you leave and grab a copy of this. Very next step I would encourage you to do is read chapter one. Read the preface. Don't miss that. Read chapter one. Secondly, it's not on your connection card, but just see Adrian at the front. You need to be in a life group. Why? Because this is, I think probably where the third doors are going to open most readily. 
is with the life group leader, helping you look at yourself and look at God's word. Third, if you're being pruned, stay put. Abide. Don't run. Stay put. Let me pray for you.